Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Nike Spalding and we are jumping into 1 John. And so, yeah, let's jump right in. Today we're going to do 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And this is the word of the Lord. That which, excuse me, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Ooh, y'all. Okay, so we just talked about in the last episode where intro to First John that this is a people that are that are doubting their faith. Right? They're, they are, they have been battered by false teachers. They are confused. They are wondering if what we first believed is something we should keep on believing. So if, if I were trying to convince y'all of something, of anything, uh, there are a number of different ways I might be able to convince you, right? I might be like, Hey, y'all, I listened to a podcast on this. I, I know what I'm talking about. Or my favorite way of learning, I might be like, Hey, y'all, I watched a 20 minute TED talk. Therefore, I'm an expert on shame. Shout out to Brene Brown. I know everything there is to know about shame because 20 minutes of a TED Talk. Or I might be like, guys, I heard it from a friend who was there, right? I mean, there's a million different ways that we import evidence, but we all know, we all know the number one way of convincing somebody, or, or better yet, if you are in the court of law, and you are trying to get a conviction, the strongest evidence that you can bring is eyewitness testimony. Well, maybe DNA, but let's take the ancient world, right? Okay. So the ancient world, if this is why witnesses in the Bible are such a big deal. So in the Old Testament, when it talks about you're going to bring forth a case against somebody, the idea that you would be a witness to the crime makes you a very valuable piece of the trial. It's also why they require that you have two or more witnesses because one witness could be corrupt. But if two witnesses can corroborate the story, hey, I saw him take that guy's bull. Yup, I saw him take the bull too. He was walking down the road with the bull, chatting like it was no big deal. He stole another man's bull, right? Witnesses are so valuable. Eyewitnesses are so valuable. I was there. I saw it. I touched it. I tasted it. It was a watermelon popsicle kind of day. I remember I was eating it, staring out at the whatever crime was happening or the, or, you know, a car wreck or whatever. I mean, we know this, you get in a car wreck and it's, and, and then somebody starts disputing whose fault it is. What do you want? You want eye witnesses. That's what you want in the ancient world. Now I know I, I just realized my metaphor breaks down in the modern world. Cause you're like, no, I want video evidence because people are the worst. I, I get it. But let's go back to an ancient world. If you are doubting your faith, what you want is an eyewitness. And that is why That is why John starts his letter, his homily this way. He talks about that which was from the beginning which you heard. So he's starting this short letter to the church in Ephesus very similarly to how he starts his gospel. So John is talking about Jesus Christ. 
Okay, he's talking about we have touched him, we have seen him, but he starts it very similarly, like this idea of the word of life, the logos, that was there from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, da-da-da-da-da, and the word tabernacled among us. We, we saw him, the light of the world, we saw the light of the world, and he's starting his letter the same way, this idea that Jesus, who is eternal, he touched him, he looked upon him. We've seen it. We testify it. To, we, we proclaim the eternal life. This is a great comfort to these people. Hey, we heard from Paul about Jesus. Then we heard from these false teachers. And now you've got John who put his head on Jesus' bosom, who was there at the crucifixion, who saw him when he rose from the dead. And he's saying to them, this one, this logos, this eternal one, um, I've seen him. I've touched him. Yeah, that's a compelling witness to say, hey, this one that we're talking about. And so just like as a point of reference for people, um, this idea of Jesus Christ being the the Redeemer, the the Messiah who comes and dies for the world and rises again, I want you all to understand historically, the better historians, the better. So there are going to be people who argue against Jesus as the risen Messiah. Like they have their reasons to not believe, okay? They're out there. But I will tell you, nobody is actually being, um, who's being honest with the evidence would say Jesus isn't a real person. So if you encounter people on Facebook or at your Thanksgiving dinner table who are just like, I don't even believe Jesus is a real person. I think it was a myth, right? That That's not a thing. That That's like a deep recesses of Google weird theory that somebody came up with. We're like, what's the difference between him and and uh, Hercules, and it's like, well, a lot. <laughs> so hear me, like this idea that Hercules is a god man as well, or what? I, I've just heard people say these things. Like nobody who takes history seriously would deny that Jesus Christ was a real person. The issue comes down to did he or did he not rise from the dead, and that is where. All, so hear me, no, nobody who is a even people who don't believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord believe that he was a real man. He ate food. He walked around Jerusalem. He taught things that these writings are about a real person. Nobody thinks that this whole thing is a charade that's been made up. And so so John is, so that's just for y'all to know. Like, that's crazy. Jesus was a real person. And I personally believe that he died and rose from the dead and in doing so saved me and you, if you would say yes. And so, but this idea of word of life, this idea that in this first few says he's calling him the word of life. This is the same logos that he uses from chapter one. Um, this is the word of God is not just the Bible, right? You hear people refer to the Bible as the word of God. And that's right to do so. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But but if you guys think about, there's this, there's this painter who painted during the realist time. His name is Magritte. He's a French painter. You might have seen this painting. It's a very uh, realistic painting of a pipe, the kind that you smoke. And below it, written in French, is the words, this is not a pipe. So you're staring at a painting of a pipe, and then you read the words, this is not a pipe. And if you're if you're not careful, you're going to be like, no, that that is a pipe. That's exactly what that is. That's a painting of a pipe. But that's his point. It's a painting of a pipe. It's not a pipe. And so hear me, when I, when I say the Bible is the word of God, that is true. But more profound than that is the word of God became flesh, that Jesus is the word of God, the revelation of God, the proclamation of God, the, the light of God went out into the world as a person. 
So embodied in the person of Jesus Christ is the word of God. If you want to know what God is like, what God says, what God does, look at Jesus. And then Jesus points to the word. So the word is only valuable because it's subordinate to the walking, breathing, smelling, eating, crouching Jesus, hidden Messiah, Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the actual word of God. And so uh, John is echoing Genesis 1. He's echoing echoing Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 talks about this too in the beginning. Prior to the mountains being created, prior to anything else, um, God was making manifest this this word of life. And so it's a, it's a beautiful proverb if you haven't read it. And so we have an eyewitness account coming to the people who are doubting. And he says, hey, I want you to know, I've seen it. I testify to it. I proclaim to you the eternal life, which was this Jesus was with the Father and he was made manifest. He was made available to us. And so we've seen it and we proclaim it to you. And so there's this we, 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 and then you. So we saw it. We heard it. We touched it. This we is the apostles, these teachers. So there's this setting up of, hey, you you don't have to believe in a tale that's divorced from a personal account. We are the apostles. And then he's saying, and we are giving to you this message of eternal life. So this interplay of we and you is really beautiful. We, the apostles who have experienced Jesus Christ's ministry, his death, his resurrection, are offering it to you so that you may have fellowship with us. So this idea of koinonia excuse me, fellowship is the word koinonia, it's this Greek word. It it is more than just, so when we think of fellowship, I think sometimes um, we think of on a Friday night, we're going to order pizza and we're all going to hang out in the church room and maybe play some pool or sprinkles, if y'all know that game on the pool table. That, That idea of fellowship is not necessarily wrong. I think it's important that you gather with people, but this idea of koinonia that's here in this text is, is very much uh, it's a you are so closely associated with each other that you have mutual interests and sharing. So this type of fellowshipping in the ancient world is not just we get together on a Friday night. It is we are so closely connected with each other that we share mutual interests and identify with each other. That that when people think of me, they think of my association with you as well. That I can't divorce my identity apart from the community that I choose to fellowship with. And so I, I am choosing to be a part of you in the same way that then you would be a part of me. And that we have a very close relationship and a communion with each other. And this is what John is offering to these people. He's saying, listen, you guys are doubting about Jesus Christ, and understandably so, because you've been rocked by false teachers. And I'm telling you, we that have touched, tasted, seen, and smelled of of the ministry of Jesus, we are offering to you the fellowship of community so much so that your union with us is so unbelievably tight that we would share this mutual interest. It's as if you all are able to borrow from my confidence in the risen Christ. You're able to borrow with my identity as one who has seen and heard the risen Christ. And then this is what's crazy is after he offers them, hey, we are offering to you the fellowship with us. He compares it to, he says, and by the way, this fellowship, this fellowship of the ring, Lord of the Rings, shout out. I've never read the books. Forgive me, y'all. This fellowship with us is a fellowship with the Father and with the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. 
Y'all, your face should melt off at this point. This is too great a truth for us to behold if it weren't for the Spirit indwelling in us, teaching us to understand this profound truth. Okay. John, Pastor John, is coming to some folks who are like, hey, we're hurting because people have come in here and shaken our faith. And he's like, hey, listen to me. I've seen him. I've seen the risen Lord. And I'm offering to you koinonia. I'm offering you to be identified with me so that you can join in this fellowship of people who believe in the risen Lord. And listen to me. Listen to me, guys. That fellowship includes koinonia, a mutual closeness, a communion with the trinity. Your fellowship in the community of believers is so profoundly knit together with the Father and the Son that we all together are knit into the perfect triune relationship. Now, y'all think I'm crazy, but it's here in the Bible. Like, he says to you, you will have fellowship. And it's a really, it's a throwback to the high priestly prayer found in John 17. In John 17, Jesus is in the garden, and he is praying for unity of his believers. He's praying for, and he says, may they be one as you and I, and it's Jesus Christ, the son of God, talking to his father as you and I are one. And he's saying, like, those that you've given to me are going to be welcomed into this, this fellowship. Y'all, this is a profound truth that when you say, I believe, you wedge yourself to a God who cannot be unfaithful. And what you receive in that is the fellowship into a community. You belong to me and I belong to you. You are my brothers and you are my sisters and we are inextricably linked for better or for worse, y'all. And sometimes it does feel like for worse, but I'm telling you now, we are together. We are together and we are so united to each other because of our adoption into the family of God and because of our union in Christ made possible by the application of the spirit that the very Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit welcome us into their koinonia. What? Y'all, I want to add words to this to make it seem more profound, but I don't know that I can do anything because it would just take away from this profound truth. So I recently spoke to a group of artists at uh, Dallas Art House. If you're not familiar with them and you're in Dallas, look them up. They're phenomenal. Uh, It's important that we have a healthy view of beauty and God's gift of beauty in the world. And so I went and spoke to them and I talked about this very idea of Trinity And this idea of belonging, that when you belong to Jesus, then you belong to the Trinity and you belong to each other. And belonging is a really deep-seated need of the human soul. Loneliness is an epidemic that we are facing at unbelievable proportions in America. So much so that large health corporations, places like Edna and others, are literally using their money to study this idea of loneliness because it's causing health issues. Like, it's causing heart problems, it's causing depression, and it's causing all kinds of other issues because we are deeply lonely. And the anecdote to that is not get friends. The anecdote is to understand that when you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you belong, body and soul, to Jesus, and when you belong to him, you're united to him in such a way that your union with him means a union with me and others like me, believers in Christ, we belong to each other. You are mine. And I am yours. 
And then you also belong to the Trinity. And so there's this artist that Andre Kubula, y'all, I'm going to, I don't know, maybe I'll put it in the show notes. I don't even have show notes, but I just wanted to say that once. But anyways, there's this, there's this artist who painted a picture of the Trinity. It's a really beautiful, ancient piece of art. And it's the Father, Son, and Spirit sitting at a table. And the way, if you were to approach it, when you look at it, it's as if there's a fourth seat. And that seat is yours. That's what the artist is trying to communicate, is what John is trying to communicate, that your union with Christ through the Spirit, authored by the Father, means you have a seat at the table with the Trinity, which means you already belong and you need to walk in your belongingness. You already have koinonia with the most exclusive club in the world, the Trinity. (laughs) Welcome to the Trinity. And then that entrance into the Trinity, of course, opens up every other red velvet line for you like what like what if you are welcome to the train where are you not welcome and so here's our so what um every week at my church we celebrate communion we do it by way of intinction and what intinction means is we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and then we partake of it and the reason why we do this is because first and foremost we belong to jesus christ and when we belong to Jesus Christ, then we belong to the Trinity. That's why we do it. We take communion every week to signify that even, even if the preaching stinks and I don't get people Jesus, they will get Jesus through communion. But it also signifies by using the same cup, everybody takes the bread and dips it in the same cup, it signifies that we belong to each other. So here's my so what, guys. You belong. You belong. And there's some of you that just need to know that, that you belong. You're mine. And I am yours. And I'm not ashamed of you. And I hope you're not ashamed of me. And I don't have to be ashamed of you. And you don't have to be ashamed of me because the blood of Christ makes us righteous. So we're brothers and sisters. And that's a beautiful thing. We belong. And some of us already know that, right? Some of us are just gifted with the ability to know that we have a place. We have a seat at the table. And so what I'd say is, is open up that seat to others. Someone needs to know they belong. We have eyewitness testimony handed down to us by John. Saying we a fellowship with you, and that fellowship includes the Father, Son, and by, by association with the Trinity, the Spirit. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, the triune God has a seat at his table for you. Peace.